Oh, Lord, when we really stop, when we catch our breath, when we think about what really is, we are amazed by all that you have created, all that you have fashioned. We can go out last night or even tonight and see a meteor shower and just marvel at the heavens. We can look at the fine workings of plants that are coming into season and see all that you have formed. We are in awe, O Lord, of your creation. But more than that, we are in awe of you that you have chosen to love us and have shown the fullness of that love in sending your Son into this world to live among us and to show us a better way. But most importantly, to give his life for ours, that we might have new life if we but lean on him if we confess him as our Lord and our Savior. We thank you, Lord, for this precious gift of your Son, this gift that changes and transforms everything that we know. So much of life teaches us that we must build and, and secure and keep safe and create a character within ourselves, and yet, O oh Lord, you have freed us from all of that to be yours, that our value is not found in all that we attain or accomplish, but our value is solely in you, that we have been purchased through the blood of Jesus, and that we are yours. The idea that we can come before you and pray just now, O Lord, to talk with you is beyond comprehension. So we thank you, O Lord. As we gather this morning to once again give you praise, to give you honor, to give you all that you deserve, oh Lord, we thank you that more than that, you also are willing to teach us and help us grow before you, that we might draw ever closer and nearer to you. Help us, oh Lord, this morning to be fashioned anew. Help us to be more than part of the rhythm of our lives, but part of the development of the next step of life that you have for us. So that in so doing and in so growing, we might be a blessing to others, that others might come to know you, that our joy in you might rub off on others who would desire that same joy. This is not to say that life does not come with sorrow. It does, but Lord, you have taught us that you have overcome all and that we have a greater hope in you. Help us this day as we step forward from this place to be a people knitted together for your purposes and for your kingdom. May you guide us in this, O Lord. And as we go forth, may you also protect those concerns that are heavy upon our hearts, those who are dear to us and loved by us, who are dealing with illness or mental struggles or, or even looking at their final days, that in each and every way you would hold them fast and help us to be a mercy and blessing to them. And, oh, Lord, this morning we are privileged as well 
to be reminded that our family is far more extended than we know. As we welcome Josiah, Alyssa, and their family here today, and are reminded of your work throughout the globe and the work in which they partake, speaking into the lives of young teenagers who are in the process of growing before you. May you richly bless their ministry. May those moments of wondering what it's all about be met with reminders of how great an impact they are having. And so often, Lord, we don't get to see the fruit and the results, but may you bless them in such a way that they continue to be encouraged. And may this time that they have over here in the States be a time of refreshment and renewal and guidance. All this we lift before you and trust you, O Lord, as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debtors. We forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this point, we'd like to excuse the children to summer story time if they'd like to go. It sounds like an exciting time this morning, so I want to give you that space and time to go. And then for the rest of us, I, I want to take a moment to do some preparation for the scripture we're about to read. Um, sometimes we need to take a moment to have background work, and, and such as this moment. I, I want to share with you that um, the water, water can be refreshing, it can be sustaining, it can be cleansing, but water also can be something to be a little afraid of. Um, I was at the Holland State Park a few weeks ago, and I was sitting there on the channel watching the boats come back and forth, and, and I watched all the small crafts going out, and people were excited, and they're, they're just looking forward to their time going out into Lake Michigan, and every one of them turned around at the end and came back in because they were met by the high waves. The larger craft went out, but all the small crafts, they were all excited going out, and then I saw them coming back, and they're all, uh, you know, just down. It, the, the water can be dangerous. And the early Hebrews knew this. In the creation account, it, it speaks of uh, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, that the waters represented chaos. Waters represented uncertainty and danger, that the world wasn't ordered. You think about creation itself, when, when the days start forming, the, well, the, the second day is that the waters are separated above and below so that a, a firmament, a heaven can be created. It, it's, it's not unlike if we look up at the sky and see the blue, um, it's not unlike they thought of it kind of like a snow globe. You know, a snow globe you shake up and, and it's kind of like a dome was holding out the waters above. Uh, it makes sense if you think about rain. Uh, but the short end of this is to let you know that large bodies of water, even when they would do shipping across them, represented chaos and uncertainty. And that's an important note of background for us. We all have a healthy respect for the seas and even for the Great Lakes. 
but I want you to understand and hold with yourself as you hear the passage this morning that waters represented chaos, a great uncertainty. Now, the passage we're going to read is a familiar one to many who've been in the church for much of their lives, and even familiar to those who know nothing of the Bible. They, they've always, there's that phrase out there, you know, walking on water. Uh, usually it's used kind of derogatory, you know, oh, they think they walk on water. You know, this kind of reference to someone thinking they're perfect. But it's a reference that comes back to this passage that is familiar to us. And it's a passage that in many ways reminds us that where in much of life we accomplish things and, and, and finish and move on, that this is a reminder to us that we are never finished in our faith journey. Oh, we might graduate from school and be done with school. We might raise our kids and feel like we're done with that, though that's kind of questionable always, right? Or we might retire from work and be done with work. But our faith journey never ends. And so with that, we're going to read from Matthew's gospel, the 14th chapter. But let's begin with prayer. Oh, Lord, you know. You know exactly what each of us needs to hear this morning. You know exactly the light that is to guide our path. So we pray that your spirit would move among us this morning in such a way that each of us is touched by you. And if for whatever reason this is a morning in which we feel like nothing new happened, may we be in a position of prayer that others around us may grow. For this is a morning, O oh Lord, where we are reminded that our faith is always in need of growing. It's to you we lift up your word, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew, the 14th chapter at the 22nd verse. Immediately he, that is Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's really between 3 and 6 a.m., in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, this is one of those moments where I know I and maybe you would, would like it if there was such a thing as a time capsule where we could, you know, put in the date and the time and, and go back and be in the moment. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you, you just want to see it. You want to see Jesus walking on the water. Peter getting out and walking to him. You want to see the look on the disciples' faces, that, that incredible uh, angst is followed by that absolute amazement. There's a reason, of course, why we might want to be in a time like that, to be in a space where we can see all that. And the reason gets down to an underlying condition in each of us. It's a wonderment, a, a question, if you will, a desire to know, to know with absolute certainty that all of this is real, that Jesus really is who he said he was to see beyond a shadow of a doubt that there he is walking on the water. To see the amazement in the disciples and everybody, there's that deep desire in us to know it's real. It's been said before, the underlying question that exists on any person out there that is not a frequent attender of church, that when they finally darken the doors and, and break that barrier and come in, they're really coming in with one single question, is God real? Does he really care? Of course, along with that wonderment, that desire, that, that inner certainty that we, we want comes another nagging struggle. The recognition that within us, there's always that struggle to sustain, to keep up a belief Oh, we can believe and we can say and hold firmly to that belief, but when hard-pressed, will we continue to be faithful? When pushed up against our edge, 
Is faith still our fallback? And we know that often that can be in question for us. It can be a struggle or a wrestling match, something that sometimes leads us to even wonder if God really loves us or whether we're really part because we're judging by our own faith. Let me give you an example. In this passage, it begins by talking about Jesus dismissing the crowds. Crowds? What crowds? Why? I mean, well, we know that Jesus often has crowds around him, but why is he dismissing them? Usually they're gathering to him. Well, they did because what was before this passage that we read is actually the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had kind of snuck away and to get off by himself and people noticed and though he'd gotten into a boat to kind of go off and be on his own, they went around on the shoreline all around and they were there to greet him when he got there. And there were crowds upon crowds of people. He looked on them and had compassion and taught. And as it got later in the day, there was this realization, what are we going to do for food? We're all out where there's no food and the disciples become worried and Jesus gives them direction to, you know, see what you got and see what there is. And, and they come back with, you know, five loaves and two fish, hardly enough to feed everyone. And yet Jesus prays and blesses and distributes and there's enough to feed everyone and there's so much leftovers gathered up that the leftovers are more than what they started with such that it's a miracle that takes place in which they are part of. They're distributing this miracle. They're taking in this miracle. They can't help but feel like they've been in the middle of this miracle. They must be at an absolute spiritual high. The event is over and Jesus says, hey, look, you know, why don't you get in the boat, go back over, go back, and, and I'll dismiss the crowds. And, and you've got to imagine, right, they are, they are up here with, wow, this is, this is amazing. Look what Jesus has done. Look what he can do. We've been part of it. As they got into those boats, I've I got to imagine, or that boat, they, got, they, they must have just, well, you know, did they get into it and have an argument about who gets the oars or where they get to sit in the boat? I don't think so. I think their conversation was probably just continually full of what had just happened. We all do that when something amazing happens in front of us, whether it's awful or good. We, we can't help but talk about it and talk all the different angles of it and what we thought and what someone else experienced. And, and so we got to understand that they got into that boat just full of what Jesus had just done. Now, they got into a boat, and many of them were fishermen, and this was the very lake they fished. It's a large lake, seven miles across in width, and maybe ten the other direction. It's a large body of water, but a body of water with which they were very familiar, had dedicated their lives to. And so they got kind of onto their home turf, started making their way. Now remember, we struggle sometimes with our faith, that journey. But they're way up here. They're so excited. They can't believe what they've seen. And then 
the wind comes. And the wind presses so much upon them that here it is now three between three and six in the morning and they're still out on the water trying to make their way and they can't. The wind is just holding them back. And that's so true of us. We can be so full of Jesus, so full of what God has done, and then suddenly we hit the wall of life. We hit the realities that life throws at us. We hit the experiences that are hard. Those things we didn't expect or what we thought we had secured ourselves against, and now we're up against obstacles, struggles, that are pressing in on us and don't seem to let us go. We tell ourselves, if given a question, you know, how would you handle this? Well, I'd do this. I'd rely on my faith. But when we're in the midst of it, it becomes really hard. They were up here in excitement and joy and amazement, and now they're still struggling on the waters, the chaos of life, as the wind buffets against them. And what happens? Jesus decides to join them. Only he comes walking along on the water. They were up here, and they're, they're, they're just sinking in their, their feelings, you can be sure. The wind has been pressing against them. And as he starts to walk toward them, they see him and they have a response. Matthew records it for us. A threefold response. That simply says this. First, they're terrified. Second, they believe the person they see is a ghost. And third, they're crying out in fear. They're terrified, they see a ghost, and they're crying out in fear. That is their response. That is often, if we're honest with ourselves, our response when we encounter something that is so hard and so difficult, we don't know what to do. We're paralyzed. Which gets to the very first reaction that the disciples have. They're terrified. Which is to say they are paralyzed. They're full of fear. You know, if you've ever been terrorized, full of terror, you know what it is. Everything in your body tenses up. Your mind seems to shut down. It can't, it can't think. There's this fight or flight, and there's this, uh, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. Everything comes pressing in, and it's too much. How many of us talk about you know, Monday morning quarterbacking or, or, you know, talking about what we should have done after the event, and we wonder why we didn't. Because in the moment, when we're in the moment, we're not at our best. Terror takes over, and it constricts, and it holds us in a way that we, we can't think sharply, we can't act sharply, we don't know what to do. Remember, this is their background. 
Many of them are fishermen. They know these waters, and yet they are full of terror. They are on their home turf, and yet they are full of terror. Well, interestingly, Matthew tells us that Jesus also has three responses. Three responses that parallel the three responses of the disciples. The first response, the first thing he says to them, the first reaction that he has to them is he says, take heart. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The first thing is take heart, which is the way our translators give it to us. It's take heart. It really means have courage. Have courage. You know, when Moses, who had helped lead the people out of Egypt, when the time came for the handover to Joshua, Joshua who had been with him through much of it, it's now time that Joshua's going to become the leader. And as that baton, or rather staff, is handed off, the instructions that Joshua first hears are these from God, to be strong and courageous. Take heart. Have courage. In the midst of this terrorizing moment, in the midst of this paralyzing moment, have courage. And that courage isn't in one's own strength, in one's own ability, in what one can do, but rather that we're not alone. Rather that we are seen by someone else, namely that we are seen by God. You know, this phrase, take heart, is used by Matthew, the gospel writer, two other times, both that come before this passage. We're meant to hear this when we hear Jesus now say, take heart, because he said it before. He said it before two other times. The first time he said it, when friends desperate to help their paralytic friend dug a hole in the roof of a house and lowered him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to the man, as he says to get up and walk, he says, take heart, my son. The other time he says it is when he's in a crowd of people and he's going to heal uh, Jairus' daughter and, and a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 13 years. She's been bleeding that long. She's gone to doctors and physicians. She's gone for all kinds of help. Nothing has helped. And so there she is in the crowd, and she, even though she's hemorrhaging and shouldn't be around anyone because she's violating all the clean, clean laws, she reaches out and she touches the hem of Jesus, Jesus, thinking that if I just touch him, I'll be healed. She does, and of course she is healed, but Jesus recognizes that the power has gone out of him, and he stops, and in the midst of the crowd, he says, who touched me? And the disciples just laugh. What do you mean who touched you? You're surrounded by people. He says, someone touched me. And at that moment, the woman realizes not only has she been healed, but now she has to admit what she's just done. You and I would think, well, what's the violation? Well, in admitting this, she also has to admit to everyone that she's just made everyone unclean by her previous condition. But even so, she steps forward and she says, I did. 
And Jesus says to her, Take heart, my daughter. To the paralytic, take heart, my son. To the the woman who's been bleeding for years, take heart, my daughter. Have courage. Not just have courage, anyone. Have courage, my son, my daughter. There's a connection. There's a love for us that is deep and abiding. We are not alone. The courage that we are to have is that we are not alone. Even in the midst of the terror and the struggle that we face, we are not alone. Your faith has made you well. In both cases, faith is an integral part of the story. So here we have Jesus saying the very first thing in the reaction to their terror. He's like, take heart, have courage. Reckoning us back to a reminder that he said this before and that there's a relationship. And of course, there is a relationship. That's his first response. Let's get to their third response. We're going to skip over number two for a moment, if you will, with me. The first one was that they were terrorized. The third one is that they cry out in fear. Well, you know, they kind of sound the same, don't they? They seem similar. They very much are. When you're terrorized, when you're suddenly, I mean, I was standing here this morning um, watching the words of the songs that we were going to sing. I was processing a few things. I was deeply invested, and two of you snuck up on me, one on the right and one on the left, and said, hi. I, I was startled. Now, you're really not all that frightening, but, you know, there are moments where you just have a reaction. They cry out in fear. They're, what are we going to do? And, you know, you can imagine just all the voices and all the different statements. And ah, they could see them almost wanting to crawl over one another to get to the back of the boat to get as far away or paddling as hard as you paddle, paddle. You know, just crying out in fear. But Jesus, once again, has a response for each of their responses. His third response matches their third response when he says, do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. We've heard that before. We've heard that before in each of the encounters with the divine, all the way back to when Zechariah, it goes into the temple. It's his turn to go in, and he's met by the angel Gabriel announcing that he's going to have a son named John. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Same angel appears to Mary, and, and Mary's and angel says, do not be afraid. Over and over again, an encounter with the divine is a do not be afraid. And here they are, once again, encountering something that is otherworldly. And the response that Jesus says is, do not be afraid. Well, I don't know about you, but the the divine is certainly something to be afraid of. Isaiah, as a prophet, talks about him being taken up in a vision or, or finding himself in the presence of God's very throne room. And he realizes that he's, a, he's an unclean man and he lives among an unclean people. And here he is in the very throne room of God. He doesn't deserve to be there. Matter of fact, there was an understanding that if you saw God, you would die. And yet now an encounter with the divine is met with a first statement of do not be afraid. 
Because the divine has not come to destroy us, but rather to save us. That is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus has come to save us, not to destroy us. They're terrified. They scream out in fear. Jesus says, have courage, take heart. Do not be afraid. And they're very similar to one another. And what we find, and you know, nowadays we have highlighters when we want to emphasize something, or we can put it in bold type, or we can put it in italics. We can do something to emphasize. And if you're texting, maybe you put it in all caps, right? We have ways of emphasizing with our writing. But back then, the only way to emphasize when we shared stories with one another, because not everyone could read, was to write or share a story in a way of parallelism. You say two things that sound similar to one another, maybe three or four things, and, and you'd layer them in such a way that you'd see the parallels center in on what comes in the middle, kind of like making a sandwich. And so in between the first response and the third response, and in between Jesus' first response and third response becomes the point, that which is being emphasized. The disciples who had been on this mountaintop experience, this amazing miracle, now are in the depths and they're like, it's a ghost! Because that's the only thing that makes sense. It's a ghost. And Jesus' response to that claim is the point. He says, it's me. It is I. Now, I feel for translators when it comes to this part of the passage. Because when you are a translator, you always have to make a choice between words, and you always have to try and get the best meaning of what it's saying that fits the culture that is. And so grammatically, it's correct. It's, it is I. It is me. You know, that's grammatically correct. But the Greek, ego eimi, is literally, and we don't say it this way, but literally translated is simply this, and you'll recognize what it is. Ego eimi is I am. Jesus says, take heart. Do not be afraid. I am. Believe you me, they heard that. And every Hebrew child grew up with an understanding of when Moses first encountered the living God, when he saw a bush that was burning that wasn't being consumed, he had to get off his path and go look at this. And in that moment, he encountered the living God. And when he finally asked the living God, well, who shall I say sent me? God says, tell them, I am has sent you. God is, I am. And Jesus says to them, take heart, do not be afraid, I am. We serve, I am, the living God, the one who is and always will be. This is the one who watches over us. This is the one who walks to us in the midst of our chaos and terror. This is the one who comes to us. 
But we still have that struggle, wondering if we have enough within us. Peter says, if it's really you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out and he starts walking on the water. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, that's just amazing. Can you talk? Come on, who of us wouldn't like to try that, right? That sounds like kind of fun. Let me try, right? And there he is walking on the water. But you know, the truth of the matter is living out this faith is hard because when we live out this faith, we still have the, the stuff of life, the realities of life that still buffet at us like the winds on the water. And, and they come at us over and over again and they wear away at our faith and they challenge us and they make us worn out and tired. And there Peter is walking on the water. Well, you know what Peter's name means? His name means rock. And he sank like one when he saw the wind. Now, you can't see the wind, but you can see the wind's effect. When he saw the waves and everything else, he started to think about, and he started to sink. And that's our struggle. We want a God who's really going to reach out and care for us and watch over us. But our struggle is we get often caught up in our own faith. We need to be growing in our faith, but we need to recognize that our faith is always in Jesus Christ and never in ourselves. When our faith is weak, Jesus is still there to hold us. Because Peter calls out, save me. And what does Jesus do? Well, you know, you should have had more faith. I, no. He reaches out and takes hold of him. Because that's the reason he's come. Because our faith has never been enough. The very Israelites who were brought out of Egypt, who saw the waters parted before them in the Red Sea, who walked across on dry land with waters of wall, walls of water on either side. Those very same Israelites a few weeks later are saying, why did God bring us out here where there's no food or water? We're going to die. Are you kidding me? You just saw something that the rest of us would die to see. But a few weeks later, you can't handle it? That's our thinking. But the reality is that we are weak and we are broken and we are sinful. And we are incapable of ourselves, of saving ourselves. It is not possible. We are called to live forward in faith. But in the end, it is Jesus who is the one who reaches out and takes hold of us and brings us home. We are no longer, no longer bound to our own failings. We're no longer a slave to sin. In every way, we have been grabbed hold of by the great I am. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, as we go into this world, as we go into our daily lives, as we come to friends and family and neighbors, colleagues, oh Lord, may you remind us that we serve you and not ourselves that our faith is in you and not in ourselves. In every way, O oh Lord, may you help us to remember that our strength is in you as we face all that life brings us. And may we take heart, may we have courage, may we no longer fear, and may we in every way acknowledge and praise your most holy name. 
In Jesus' name, amen. May we each remember that we live and move and breathe all by the gift of our great and wonderful God. And we have been saved through Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and forevermore. Amen.